that they scare the bejesus out of people. Professor Barry Smith has been doing some really interesting work crunching data related to COVID in Ireland. We started by asking him how he got started with this in the first place. It's something of a, a, an unusual story about how I got started in, in this COVID analysis work. I should say I'm, I'm always on the lookout for interesting data science problems. Uh, just on a personal level, it gives me something to occupy myself with. I like doing the, the coding behind it. Uh, sometimes I, I don't get to do that enough because it's the students to get to do all the interesting work. So uh, at the same time, then I, I teach a course called Data Science in Practice. As the title would suggest, it's very much a practical course and the students are expected to create and implement their own data science project. But as a preface to that course, I give them an example project. And I'm always looking for interesting example projects that I can take them through over the course of a pretty intensive one-week boot camp. So in the past, I've looked at marathon running. Uh, and then this year, it, was, it, was, uh, it struck me that because this is the first ever pandemic that has so much data associated with it so freely, uh, it was a great opportunity to, to use COVID and some of the, the things that we've been learning about COVID as the example data science course. So, so I started out on that. Uh, I like writing a few blog posts. Uh, and as the weeks went by, I found myself getting more and more interested in it. It was pretty clear to me that I was going to use it as part of the data science and practice course. But equally, it was pretty clear to me that there was some interesting things that needed to be done and some interesting observations and insights that could be drawn from the data, which uh, my data science skills allowed me to explore. Now, uh, in all my blog posts, uh, I've tried to make it clear that I have no medical training. I'm not an epidemiologist, um, so I just go where the data takes me. But during the course of that, we've been able to look at things like not just um, numbers of cases and infections, but mobility data, lockdown data, levels of restriction, and what that has meant for different countries around the world and how different lockdowns have impacted on those countries and uh, the pros and cons of those lockdowns in terms of their ability to control the virus afterwards, etc., etc. So my, my blog posts have ranged right across the spectrum of COVID data that's available. Basically, if there's a COVID data set available, I'm eager to have a look at that and see what it tells us. And have there been any standout insights that you've come across? Uh, I suppose there's been a few things. Uh, early on, uh, I was one of the, the people who started to explore the RIP.ie data to see if it gave us some early insights to the fatality numbers and, and this idea of excess deaths. And it was pretty obvious back in March and April that there was a, a, a pretty sudden increase in, in the number of RIP.ie notices. Uh, and then obviously that, that fell away again uh, during the summer. So that it was interesting to see that a site and a service like that could be so revealing and so real time in a sense, because usually these, this fatality information takes many, many months to work through the system. So that was interesting. Um, I've also been looking at trying to identify useful ways to communicate to the general public 
the level of risk that we're facing, you know, rather than just say, oh, we've had 6,000 cases yesterday. I can't believe I'm saying we've had 6,000 cases yesterday, by the way. It's been so incredible over the last few weeks. You know, who thought we'd get there? But rather than just give them pure case numbers and uh, cases per 100,000, Joe, what does that mean for me? If I, if I happen to go to the shops, what are the chances that I might come into contact with somebody who's carrying the disease and maybe someone, presumably somebody who doesn't know they're carrying it? So I'm trying to translate some of those numbers into more intuitive uh, and accessible numbers so that I can help myself and maybe other people figure out, well, how should I be thinking about the pandemic now in January 2021? Is it as bad as it was in March? The case numbers suggest it is, but then we weren't testing in March. So is it as bad as it was back in March? And if it is, I should be behaving like I was back in March. Uh, and, and they're the sort of uh, questions I'm trying to answer. And can you give us any insights in, in terms of that sort of stuff? I mean, I'm all ears for behaviour in January 2021. Yeah, well, it's, it's, so this is one of the things I'm working on uh, today and yesterday and tomorrow is, is looking at this question. So without a shadow of a doubt, we've more cases at the moment, but we have so much more testing than we had in March. And so the question is, does that mean that there is more infection? Now, it looks like there is. There are models that people have built that allow them to predict the number of infections that are out there that are associated with cases. So you can imagine, for example, that we've been told that there's a significant number of asymptomatic infections. So these people probably never present to test. So they, they don't, they're, not, they're rarely included in the confirmed case numbers unless they happen to be caught up in the contact tracing um, system. So inevitably, there are always lots of other people out there who aren't counted in the case numbers, but who are infectious. The worry about those people is that, um, okay, some of them might be asymptomatic and maybe they're less of a transmission risk. Some of them may be mild and less of a transmission risk, but in theory, they can still transmit the virus. And because they have mild symptoms or no symptoms, and because they're not a case, they don't know they have it. And they're probably in the community going about their business. Now, depending on the models you look at, some would predict that maybe there's as many as 10 times or more the number of infections out there as the cases would suggest. So uh, over the last few days, I've been running some of those models on Irish data and European data and data around the world. And it suggests, for example, that in Ireland, about 84% of the infections since the start of the pandemic have gone undetected. Now, you might think that's a massive number, 84% we never knew about. It's consistent with numbers that have just come out of the UK, where they're suggesting that about 80% of cases went undetected. Similar for some other countries like France and the US. So it's probably of that order, certainly in large part because there was very little testing back in, in March. But even today, you know, our testing systems are largely overrun. So there are lots of cases that aren't being found, probably. That's one of the, the, the insights. Um, and it tells me that, uh, yes, the current wave is much worse than the wave in March. We can see that not only are there more cases today, there are many, many more undetected infections today. Uh, now, interestingly, uh, right now at the moment, when you run the numbers, although there are more undetected cases, 
They've happened over a shorter period of time. So the exposure risk today, if you go out and about, you have about a 2% chance of coming into contact with, with somebody with the virus, which is similar to what it was in March. But if our numbers keep growing, uh, then that will quickly rise and may rise as much as I've seen 4% and 5% in countries like Belgium. Now, you might think, oh, 2% doesn't sound that bad. That's one in 50 people. Um, but, you know, if you're going about your business, if you're wandering around the shops, that's 10 or 20 people you've come into contact with. And maybe if you uh, head off somewhere else, it's another 10 people. So these things add up over time. And that's just today. What about tomorrow? What about this week and next week? And that's not the risk that they will transmit. You know, you need to be in closer contact with them, perhaps. But we now have a more transmissible variant. So maybe that's uh, something that needs to be borne in mind as well. So one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is how can we give individual people the tools that they need to make good decisions about how they should act? And I, and I think at the moment we're, we're always struggling with these sorts of things, especially in science. We tend to like to talk in scientific terms about normalized case numbers and things like that. That's not necessarily as helpful as it might be. I mean, you're you're dealing in sort of risk analysis there and all of us on a daily basis at the moment are making risk analyses of our own with no data to back it up and, and bringing our own personalities and risk aversion into the mix. Um, personally for you, has your work made you feel more confident about stepping outside your front door or less so? Um, I think I've, I've probably on the the more risk averse end of this spectrum to begin with. So... I've always tended to err on the side of caution um, and I'm a big believer, I suppose, if if I'm hearing on the news that the, the, the Taoiseach is telling us, you know, stay indoors and don't go out except in an emergency or for one bit of exercise a day, I, I'll do that. Um, so uh, these numbers haven't helped me feel less at risk, let's put it that way. I, I think... Uh, it's about the right level of risk. From what I'm seeing, I would not be inclined to be wandering outside too much if I could help it. I think it's not it's not worth it at the moment. Um, I'm very eager for our kids to get back to school, you know, and that's not going to happen while the numbers are so high, for instance. Um, I'm just hoping that the vaccine rollout is a bit more successful in the coming weeks and, and we could start to put some pressure on the virus in that direction. Yeah, hopefully. Do you think having all this data available in a pandemic, you know, it's the first time, as you say, that we've we've had these numbers at our fingertips. Do you think it's helpful like for, for the regular person? I don't know. So is it helpful? I, I think I can. It is easy to imagine that the news reports we see at six o'clock and nine o'clock and the numbers we're seeing that they scare the bejesus out of people. Not sure if I could say bejesus on a podcast. Let me say that again. That I'm sure these numbers have the potential to terrify people. They, they're very large numbers and they only seem to go in one direction these days and it's up. So I'm sure that's very, very scary. I think it's less about the amount of information that's available and more about the way that we're presenting that information. I think we could do a better job of presenting that information rather than calling out numbers. I think we need to help people understand what it means for them what it means in their area. The problem at the moment is that we look at this largely as from an Irish perspective. 
there have been counties and districts in Ireland that have had very, very little virus for very long times. Um, and I can imagine how it's really frustrating for people in those areas uh, to be suffering the same fate as areas where things have been growing out of control. Um, and I suppose the frustrating thing now is that with vaccines down the road, you'd wonder, well, is it worth putting all the effort in to try and figure that out? Really, we've just got a few more months. Let's hunker down and then the vaccines will get us out of it. Well, that brings me to a question I wanted to ask you about this work. It's providing you with real time risk analysis um, insights. But can you see a use for this or would you hope that some of this data that's being collected and used and processed could be could be used in the future to, to plan better for these kinds of events? I, I undoubtedly um, I, I think this is, you know, it's, it's one of those times in science where so much has happened so quickly and so much has been learned and so much of what has been learned can be applied in this in different areas um the, the vaccine uh, discovery has been called a, a moonshot and it, it very much w- was like that you know so much new science has been proven as a result of that in such a short space of time and i think the same is probably true right across the spectrum of research and I think if there's one good thing that should come of it, I'm not convinced it will because politics always gets in the way, but one good thing that should come of it is that I think um, our countries need to be a bit more responsible in how they plan for uh, public health episodes like this. Um, This might be seen as a once in a generation crisis, but we have bad flu seasons regularly. Um, Not for a minute would I suggest that we should be going into lockdown Uh, every second week but I think we can do a lot more when it comes to disease surveillance uh, and provide a lot more targeted information to the public about things that they should be watching out for or if their area is particularly susceptible at a given point in time Uh, I'd like to think that we can do a better job of that as well as investing in the infrastructure that we will need maybe not next year or the year after although probably but certainly 10 years from now uh, when something else hits not sure if i could say bejesus on a podcast <laughs>